So when I say that co-regulation is a precursor to self-regulation, it means that we basically have to teach our kids how to regulate before they know how to adequately do it themselves. And that happens very young. That happens young. I mean, we do that with babies, you know, who rubbing their back, rocking them, singing to them, humming, playing. I mean, it, it happens all the time. And we can do it through their teenage years or even adult, early adulthood as well. It's just about being regulated yourself so that you are tracking your emotions, your thoughts, your behaviors, so that your kids learn how to do it through you. That's what that is. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 20. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. I'm super excited for the diversity of topics we have going on this year. Today we're talking about parental anxiety, dysregulation, and mom guilt, as well as parenting a highly anxious and sensitive child. And who better to have this discussion with than my friend, Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart. She is the proud owner of A New Day Pediatric Psychology in San Antonio, Texas. She's a mom, author, a parent coach, and pediatric psychologist who is dropping all the gems of wisdom on the dynamics of parent-child relationships. We talk about parenting the child that's right in front of you, right? Sometimes we have an expectation of maybe what our kids should be or how we thought our child was going to turn out, and they're not, right? They're their own little person with their own little quirks, and so really being present with focusing on what's best for that child. We talk about mom guilt, you know, and just kind of never feeling like you're enough. Maybe especially if you're a mom that works outside of the home as well. Feelings of guilt that maybe accompany some of that brief distance. We're going into all of the nuances that come with parenting. So I think this episode will be great for anyone who is a parent or is becoming a parent or is just a friend of someone who's a parent in understanding some of these dynamics. I found this to be incredibly edifying. So here is my conversation with Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart on overcoming parental anxiety and mom guilt. All right, so I am here with Dr. Lockhart, and I am so excited. I feel like we just had this kind of instant connection, Um, and we are going to talk about a topic that I haven't really gotten to address here on the podcast, so I think it's going to be super valuable, but Dr. Lockhart, how are you doing today? I am doing really, really great. It's been a good day, and um, I'm enjoying my Friday on this beautiful 70-something degree weather day in San Antonio. So I've been good, and I've been hanging out with my husband. We've been doing a date day, which we often do over the summer a couple times a week. But on Fridays throughout the year, we will often once or twice a month or more do like a date day. And um, that's what we're in the midst of doing. So I'm taking a little break to do this, have some lunch, and then we're going to resume. <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. I love that. And 
Oh, 70 degrees. It's so cold here in California. I lived in Dallas for some time and I never got to venture over to San Antonio. But Mm. if I'm ever in your hood, uh, I'll be sure to say hello and hopefully not interrupt your your date day (laughs) too much. (laughs) We'll bring you along because we like to eat, watch movies and shop. I'm a a great third wheel. I, I don't mind it at all. (laughs) well uh i'm so i'm so happy to have you on uh we've just kind of been conversating back and forth and uh for those who aren't familiar with you uh why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself your background and what led you to do the work that you're currently doing at a new day pediatric psychology what made you decide to go into pediatric psychology okay yeah that's great great question so um, my name is Dr. Ann Louise Lockhart. I'm a pediatric psychologist and uh, a parent coach here in San Antonio, Texas. I've been living here for 15 years. I'm originally from St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. So I was born and raised in the Caribbean. And I lived all over the country, um, San Antonio being the place I've lived the longest. I actually used to live in Burbank, California, actually, several oh. many, many years ago. And... Um, and so what kind of led me into this field was really I met my husband while I was living in California. He was living in San Diego. I was in L.A. We met, and at the time, I was working as an admissions counselor, so I was recruiting students from high schools in L.A. and Orange County. And that was what my master's was in, was college student personnel administration. I've been working in that for about six years. Mm-hmm. And I had been doing volunteer peer counseling at a large church in Pasadena, and I really felt like that was what I should be doing. I kept feeling this tug to do something more. And um, I'm a Christian, and I do a lot of faith-based counseling when I was doing that as a volunteer, and I really felt like that was really fulfilling for me. And so when I was looking into doctorate programs, my husband um, was encouraging me to pursue it, and I said, man, it's going to take five years to get my doctorate. And he said, well, you know, five years are going to pass anyway, so yeah, yeah. Why, not, why not do what you love? And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So as I was doing my different practicum experiences and training experiences, I got into working with kids and doing play therapy and working with abused kids and homeless kids Mm. and kids who were in all kinds of really horrible situations. And I just developed this passion for working with these hurting kids and their families. So that was kind of my introduction to working with kids. And uh, and then when I did my internship here in San Antonio, I was working with the Army and the Air Force as a civilian. Mm. in their hospital and I began doing more work with kids who were sick and that's when I really got introduced to pediatric psychology so it was kind of a great marriage between medical diagnoses and psychological diagnoses and how to help these kids and families with pain and sickle cell and uh, transplants and how to help them from a behavioral health perspective rather than just a medical perspective. And yeah. I really developed this passion for it and seeing that these people needed help beyond this medication and just being hospitalized. So that's where my passion really flourished and developed and kind of went there and ran from there ever since. Wow. I I really love that. And it's amazing how all these different points in your journey kind of add up to this ultimate, you know, passion and, and how it all connects. Uh, the most I did was... A few years of uh, volunteering in kids ministry. <laughs> I did that for a while and I enjoyed it so much, but I can only imagine like everything you've encountered. And it seems like, well, first of all, I think this is such a 
like a critical period, right? Like dealing with children uh, because it's so, it's so much of, it carries into adulthood. So it's almost preventative, that work. Totally. Yeah. So what totally. it, And I, and I uh-huh. agree. I agree because I see a lot of the, when I speak to and consult with a lot of my colleagues who work only with adults, it's, it's amazing how it's kind of a full circle work because yes. they're really trying to repair things in adulthood that should have been caught in childhood. In and childhood. so I really, that's why I strongly believe in so, so much of this because so much of the way we are and how we think starts in our childhood. We can stem all of it back from that, the way we were raised, we were parented, what we viewed, what we saw, what we experienced. And so I think that's why working at it from that ground level is so important. Right. Oh my gosh. I just you know, remember being in my developmental psychology class and how all these things from our childhood connect and attachment styles. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, great, we've all been messed up. But no, no, not really. <laughs> but, <laughs> we're, we're all trying to piece it. World, it's not you know? the end of the world. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so um, what exactly does a parenting coach do? That's a great question. So this is something that I didn't even... I don't even know if it really existed when I was first starting right. graduate school. And that's, that's why it's so interesting because, you know, when I talk to high school students now and I talk to them about what they want to do for the rest of their life, it's a hard question to answer. And so when we ask these kids questions like that, it, it is hard because a lot of the fields and the, the uh, career areas that are going to be in existence by the time they finish high school are going to be, they don't exist right now. And so parent coaching was something that I kind of discovered as I started my private practice, actually. So I did my training with the Army and the Air Force. I stayed there for 10 years, and then I left in 2015 and started my private practice in in January of 2016. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I was just doing pediatric psychology, and I was seeing kids with a variety of those issues with medical and, and psychological issues. But as I was doing it more and more, I kept finding that these kids were still staying stuck in many areas, especially when it dealt with behavioral issues and ADHD and anxiety, especially. And even though I integrate parents in my therapy all the time in my sessions, I still felt that it wasn't enough to just bring them in. So I started looking more into parent coaching in terms of just meeting with the parent and coaching them through how to help their kids through whatever thing they were going through. And what I found was that kids were getting better even without seeing them. Mm. because I was meeting with their parents. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I just saw this kid for all these months. And yes, there was some improvement. But what was going on was they were still going back into a system where the parent was still doing the same thing that maybe wasn't helpful. So what I found is as a parent coach, what has been helpful is being able to teach parents how to reparent into things that are more effective with that particular child. And then helping them work through their own things from their childhood based on how they were raised and how they were parented, because that's what we bring into our own parenting. So when people say there's no book on parenting, uh, yeah, there is. There's tons of books on parenting. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But it's just a matter of knowing which one to follow based on you, your personality, your kid's personality, and then their diagnosis if you're putting that on top of it. So as a parent coach, that's what I'm doing is I'm teaching parents how to parent more effectively given the kid that they have in front of them. I feel like something like that is so reassuring uh, because this really goes into kind of what I was going to ask you. You know, there's so much advice out there about 
especially when you're an early parent, like a new parent, about what yeah. to do, what not to do, traditional advice from family versus more modern advice from friends and in media, or the expectations we carry in our own mind of the type of parent we should be versus how our reality often plays out. And sometimes it can be so much. You know, I remember for me, even when my little one was very little it was like do we or do we not put oatmeal in the bottle could he choke or will this help him sleep through the night i don't know which one do i weigh you know um (laughs) it can create a lot of anxiety um and i've spoken with a number of people who and i'm sure those who are listening who it's just like feeling a lot of anxiety just around this whole parenting thing and what are some signs of anxious parenting? Because in the moment you feel like you're just surviving, you're just doing what you got to do. And like you said, you're just imparting what you, what's what been imparted into you. But maybe what are some like telltale signs that you're operating out of anxious parenting? That's a great question because it's a very common thing. I think we're seeing a huge, no, I know we are because I'm, I'm seeing a lot of upsurge in a lot of anxiety diagnoses among kids and teens, but yeah. also among a lot of parents and especially among moms because we tend to have a lot of mom guilt and mom anxiety. Yes. And so, and it's, it's normal to be concerned about the well-being of your child. Like you should be like, that's what you're supposed to look at for your child and make sure that they're doing well. But when it's beyond what's normal, is when you are um, maybe helicoptering or snow plowing. So you're either hovering over every little thing they do, wondering, making sure that they're um, who their friends are and what they did and how they slept. And that you're, you're overly, like overly involved in every little aspect of their being where they don't feel like they can be an independent person apart from you or mm. where you're, um, you're taking on too much of their emotions. And, and uh, you know, again, these things are hard to describe because it's a fine balance, right? Like yeah. you're supposed to ask your kids about how they're doing. You're supposed to ask them about their friends and all that stuff. But it's when you become overly involved, when your their life becomes yours. So they get dumped by their first boyfriend or they don't make the basketball team and you are so devastated and you're more devastated than they are because you're like, how is this going to affect them in their future? And will this will discard them for life. And then you're kind of brooding over it more than they are. Or if you start to create this narrative about them and their life before they've lived it. So I've had many moms say stuff like, my four-year-old hit his two-year-old sister in the face. Oh my gosh, what if he grows up to abuse women? I'm like, what? Right. That's anxious parenting because what are you doing? Like, what? why are you time traveling to a time that hasn't even occurred yet based on a behavior that's actually pretty normal? Very normal. Yeah. So I think that's where a lot of that anxious parenting comes in when we are um, making too many predictions and we are over-exaggerating a situation mm-hmm. and then we're getting lost in our children's emotions and experiences and we make them our experiences. And I think that's where we can mess up this whole situation between us and our kid because we are maybe caring too much about something more than they actually do. And they kind of just get over it and move on. 
Right. So what are some practical tips for, you know, dealing with this anxiety? Like say someone's listening and it's like, look, I I think that I might be being overly anxious, but I don't, I can't help it. It's just like my natural response and I'm just concerned. And, but how do I, how do I balance this out? That's a great question. I think that many times if you're doing anxious parenting, it's probably because you are dealing with anxiety yourself. Right. So because we're not often going to act out in ways that didn't previously exist. However, I've also found that parenting brings out new things in you that you didn't even know existed. That part. So because now you're taking care of somebody that actually relies on you for their survival and well-being. And that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. So and my husband, I joke because I have two kids. I have a nine year old daughter and a seven year old son. And when they were going through specifically, my son was going through his terrible threes, fours, and fives. Right, and six, and seven, um, and eight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, would, I would joke with my husband and say, wow, I didn't realize an individual could breed and cause so much anger from the depths of my soul. <laughs> like, I didn't know yeah. I could be so mad and in a, with a situation because they really do bring out emotions in you that you didn't maybe even know existed or maybe were dormant right. for a long, long time. Because they're so close to you. You know, yes, so it, you it's so close. Them. And yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. So with the anxiety thing and being kind of dealing kind of practical tips for um, dealing with parental anxiety, I would say to make sure that you do your own work. I think that's super, super important. Yeah. Is that just because you have a kid doesn't mean you don't have concerns and issues and experiences and hang ups as well, too. So I think it's important to make sure that you do your own work so that you're not kind of spilling that over into your parenting relationship. So that means maybe you have to see a therapist. Maybe you see a parent coach. Maybe you go to your pastor and get pastoral counseling. Maybe you go to um, a really good friend who can provide a listening ear that you kind of just process those things so that you can work through those um, issues that maybe are preventing you from living your best life in the moment. So I think that's a really big thing is maybe doing your own work Mm -hmm. and getting that support. Support groups, Facebook groups, just being able to vent and be supportive, not the judgy groups and the judgy people, but right. the supportive ones. <laughs> yeah. But then also, too, making sure that you remain in the moment. So when you're parenting your child, make sure you're parenting the child in front of you, not the child you're afraid of having, or that the mm. child you're afraid of who, how they'll turn out to be, or the child that you were, or the child that your friend has. We do a lot of that parenting the wrong kid business. That we're parenting a kid in front of us, but they're not really the kid in front of us. They're, you're parenting out of fear, parenting out of shame, mm. parenting out of guilt or anger. So I think that's going to be important too, to make sure that we keep that in mind that we're parenting the right child. Yeah, you have this quote that says, stop parenting imaginary children, parent and love yep. the children you already have. And yep. I didn't even like that just the concept of having imaginary children in our heads of the child we maybe thought we should have or expected to have or how we should expect them to be rather than this really unique human being that they're evolving into in front of us. I mean, my son is evolving every day in ways that I'm just like, oh, he has this different little personality and quirkiness and ways that I didn't really foresee for my child. I don't know what I foresaw in the first place, but okay, like, Let's we're rolling with who he is, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting mm-hmm. because it's like 
I don't know if many people do have in their mind how they envision their kid. Yeah. You know, because when we really step back and think, maybe there's a particular way that we expected them to look or sound or their interests or their, you know, all those different things. But it's interesting because then we have this kid in front of us and we're like, yeah, like just parent the kid that you have. Appreciate the one that yeah. you have. Just love them for where they're at. Yeah. And, you so know, I think that mm-hmm. really helps with a lot of anxious parenting because then you don't put so much pressure. Right. Right. With these kind of imaginary expectations. Exactly. Yeah. And so, regarding kind of all of this incoming information that we get, especially I would say for new moms, but even just along the way, as we're encountering different issues with your kids and you're kind of looking for advice on maybe how to do things and ways to do things, or you're looking things up and there's so much information about what you ought to do with your child, you know, what might be a healthier mindset to have around weighing, you know, all the information that we're given? Um, So that's a great question because I think it goes back to the mindset. It goes back to when I work with parents for parent coaching specifically, I, the one of the first things, because they want to come in and say, okay, my kid is having tantrums. Can we stop the tantrums? Or they're wetting the bed. Let's stop them wetting the bed. And I'm like, okay, no, we're not going to do that yet. Because what we have to work on is your parent's mindset. You have to focus on being able to regulate yourself so that you can regulate your child. And you have to really focus on what parenting how parenting you thought was going to look like for you and how maybe it looks different than you expected. Mm-hmm. And, and then being able to just keep that in mind. And so I think that mindset is about um, making sure that anything that you read, because there's lots of different parenting information and resources yes. out there, lots and lots of different things, but you have to look at what is the goal that I have for my child and then making sure that you keep an open mind to the stuff that you're reading and integrate some of that stuff. Some of it's going to work for you and some of it is not. You might read stuff on timeout and feel like, you know what, that's too harsh for this particular kid, but it works for this other kid. Uh, doesn't mean it's all bad. Or you might say, oh, you know, having more of a, a sensitive, gentle approach where maybe uh, we just talk about consequences or maybe we do more love and logic and we just talk about things. Uh, I mean, all of it is good stuff. There's no necessarily bad advice. Well, yeah, no, that's, that's not true. There is <laughs> There's, there's um, some, but I get, but I hear you. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of useful. Yeah. For that particular child, because yeah. I have kids, two kids with two very different personalities. Right. So parenting one, I can't use the same strategies for the other. Although they're both good strategies, I can't use the same thing because their personalities are different. They're, right. they're gender. They're g- different in terms of the way they express themselves. I mean, so all of those different things we have and their age. So we have to adapt based on all of those things. So I think if we can keep a mindset in terms of just parenting the kid we have, revisiting our expectations for who we thought we were going to have as a child, and then being able to just adapt based on where they're at developmentally, age, um, personality, all that kind of stuff. I think that's going to be, that will make parenting so much easier. And I I mm -hmm. think it's important to point out too, my husband and I, when we were having breakfast this morning for our date day, we were joking about how several weeks ago our kids were it was right after right before dinner mm-hmm. and it was after school and they were running up and down um the, the first floor of our house like up and down up and down up and down and they're screaming and loud and, and yelling and we were just laughing with them and we thought it was hilarious and my husband jokingly said man why are kids so loud and my son said 
kids are loud because they're loud. <laughs> so, and, and we just all laughed and, and none of their behavior was bothering us. Yeah. And I was saying, however, I know there have been other times when they've done the exact same thing and we're like, be quiet, you're being yeah. too loud, go to your room. And we're like, okay, but the only difference is us. Their right. behavior is exactly the same. And so that's why we have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, that we're in the right mindset. We're practicing this, quote, self-care people always talk about. That is, like, legit true. We need to do that. Because if you have met your own parenting needs, you're going to be less bothered by your kids' behaviors. Oh, is that true? Like, usually if something comes out with your kid, it's something else. (laughs) It's something else going on with you that you kind of need to get together with yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just reflected with in the relationship with them because they're the closest one to you. And mm-hmm. um, I love what you're saying about just kind of acclimating based on the child that you have. And when it comes to approach and even discipline and things like that, because I feel like growing up, there's this traditional sense of this is just what you do with kids period. Like, you know, like when your kid's doing this, this is what you do, you know, whether it's like a spanking or whether it's, you know, this is how you address it. I feel like there was this very linear, just one way approach to all kids because they're being bad. You know, when they act bad, this is what you do. And it's kind of like, yeah, but every, every child is, is different. My son, for example, when he does something wrong, he already gets like a lot of guilt behind what he's done. And so I almost have to balance out the level of guilt that he'll feel, <laughs> you know, um, because it's like, I don't I don't really need to like guilt him too much or anything because I already know he's, he's pretty sensitive to that. So just mm-hmm. acclimating to his little personality. And I, I love so much that you've touched on that. Yeah, it's important. It makes a big, big difference. Right. And you you said something about regulation earlier, and you Mm -hmm. you also quoted this on your Instagram, which if y'all aren't following her already, check out her Instagram where she's dropping all the gems. Um, You know, you said co-regulation is a precursor to self-regulation. If adults are dysregulated, children learn to be dysregulated as well. Uh, can you expand more on this? How would you define, you know, co-regulation and dysregulation to someone who may not know those terms? But mm-hmm. I think what you're saying here is so important. Yes, I think that so co-regulation is well, regulation is the ability to be able to monitor your thoughts, your behaviors, your words, um, all of those things. So um, knowing when to say something and when not to, when to do something and when not to. It's about regulating your mind, your body, your thoughts, all that stuff. And we, it's an executive functioning skill. So it's a skill that is developed over time. Kids don't naturally know how to regulate themselves, but yet we expect them to know how to. So we're in a three-hour church service with a five-year-old and we expect them to be able to sit through it. Well, why would you expect that? Mm -hmm. Or they're meeting a new friend for the first time on a play date and then they are saying mean things and we're like, why are you saying mean things? Or, you know, someone, a kid cheats on a test because they they are finding it hard. And then we get so surprised by this dysregulated behavior. And it's like, well, why? Why are you surprised? Because This is something that although you maybe have taught them a hundred times and you've modeled it, it's still a work in progress. It's Mm -hmm. something they learn over time. 
So in order to learn self-regulation, we have to first teach through co-regulation, which means kids learn best through modeling. So if you are um, a person who yells in traffic all the time while your kids are in the car, and you're always yelling at your partner or your spouse, and you're yelling at the neighbors, and you're, you're always upset about everything, and you're flying off the handle with small things, that's mm-hmm. dysregulated behavior as a grown-up. And if your kids are witnessing that, that's how they learn things are normal. They learn mm-hmm. when I'm mad at somebody, I just yell or cuss them out. That's what mom does. That's what dad does. Mm-hmm. So that's where parents get a lot of parent guilt because they're like, oh, great. I messed up my kid because of my behavior. Well, no, it's not about messing up your kid. It's about the fact that they have been, you've modeled this for them. So right. when I say that co-regulation is a precursor to self-regulation, it means that we basically have to teach our kids how to regulate before they know how to adequately do it themselves. Right. And yeah, and you, that happens mm-hmm. very young. That happens young. I mean, right. we do that with babies, you know, through rubbing their back, rocking them, singing to them, humming, playing. I mean, it, it happens all the time. And we can do it through their teenage years or even adult, early adulthood as well. It's just about being regulated yourself so that you are tracking your emotions, your thoughts, your behaviors, so that your kids learn how to do it through you. That's what that is. Right. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about like doing the work with ourselves uh, so that we can do that. Otherwise, it's this, if we're not doing the actual work, it's like, okay, why are we always flying off the handle? Or why are Mm -hmm. we coming off this way constantly? You know, if we don't do that work, then any kind of behavior modification is probably only going to last so long. Um, Mm -hmm unless we're practicing it. And so, and you addressed what also I was going to say is like, how do we move through this and grow through this, but also not have guilt where it's like, you know, Oh, there I went again. I did, you know, I did it again. I, I, in a moment I got upset. I overreacted, uh, and, 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 uh, growing ourselves, right. Improving ourselves, but at the same time, not having so much guilt in the process. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that's where it's important not to do that because part of co-regulation, part of modeling is that when you do mess up, just own up to it. So if you yell at your kid again, and that's something that you're working on, say that, that be vulnerable with your child Mm -hmm. appropriately for their development and not through blaming either. And so not saying, sorry, I got mad because you just always tick me off. That's That's not the way we own it, right? But it's saying, you know what, mommy is so sorry that I yelled at you. I've been feeling so exhausted, and that was not the proper way to respond. Please forgive me. I am working on that, and I want to do better. Can we do that over again? Can we redo that conversation again? Mm. And just being able to have a way to tap out or to say, hey, let's do a rewind, and let's redo this over again, because this was not an appropriate way to respond, and I should have responded better. Mm. I apologize. So that's a great way to co-regulate. It's also a great way to model. And, you know, one of the things that people, uh, that when they do research for kids in terms of like what they want, especially for teenagers, teenagers want to feel like their parent is appropriately vulnerable for those kinds of things. They want to feel like you are a real person. And I had a discussion with this with Janae Johnson. She's a a teen therapist out in Philly. Mm -hmm. And we had had this discussion on one of my IG lives. And she had said, that's what 
people are wanting is teenagers. They want to know that their parent is a person right. who has flaws, that you weren't always perfect. You didn't grow up as a perfect teenager and then became an amazing parent. Like you have flaws too, and they want to know that about us. So I'll tell my kids stuff like that. Like my son, we found out he was he had cheated on a test. <laughs> he was for a homework assignment. Yeah. He's been copying from another kid. And I told him, um, I said, you know, uh, I confronted it. I addressed it with him. But I said, you know what? I understand why you cheated because you got the answers. It's easy, right? And he's like, yeah. Right. And I said, I cheated. So I get that it's easy. The problem, though, is that you still don't know the stuff. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So I said, so let's go over it so that you actually learn it, and then let's move on from there. And that was it. That's the end of the conversation. I don't have to have a long, old lecture about cheating and why it's bad to copy. Like, he knows it. He already felt bad about it. I didn't have to, you know, shove it down his throat. But I also then was vulnerable to say, I did it too. I totally get it. I know why you did it. It makes sense to me why you did it. So that's part right. of that core regulation as well, too, is modeling that, but being appropriately vulnerable, developmentally appropriately vulnerable with our child as well, too. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey, guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign-up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. 
I feel like that also teaches them so much, gives them such a head start in emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and just being able to be aware of, you know, why you might have done it and uh, being able to kind of label maybe some of those feelings around it and having insight into yourself. And that's just, I feel like a byproduct of another skill that can be gained through being vulnerable and openly sharing like that. Right. Yeah. So exactly. while I have you, <laughs> um, <laughs> any advice for adjusting to a highly sen- sensitive or anxious child? I know that you talked a bit about uh, your background with ADHD uh, previously. Um, and I, and uh, so, yeah, just maybe a child who is just highly anxious, highly sensitive and being there, being supportive, uh, but also... I don't like co-reg that co-regulation like you're saying because I know mm-hmm. for some parents that can be overwhelming it can be exhausting because um, it's day in and day out right and right. taking care of themselves in the process uh, so yeah any any words towards someone toward the parent that's in that position where it feels like every other day it's something that their kid is just blowing up about or blowing out of proportion. Yeah so to speak. Yeah, I think, well, and this is something I'm, I'm glad I'm seeing more and more um, about this on online as well as on Instagram, because this is a field of study that hasn't been looked at a lot. And a yeah. lot of us, when I was in grad school, I never learned about highly sensitive children. I didn't really know a lot about that at all. Um, and so I think that it's a whole different, it's not a diagnosis, it's a temperament or a personality. Right. And a lot of kids who are highly sensitive have to be parented differently because they see the world and experience the world in a very different way than other kids. And so when you're parenting these kids, what often happens, especially if you are not a sensitive person yourself as a parent, they can feel very frustrating to raise because they feel like crybabies. They feel like they take everything so personally that they're, they're always um, flying off the handle. I mean, they can look like different things. And so when you're parenting these particular kinds of kids, especially when they're very sensitive, is that you have to keep that in mind to know that they are seeing the world through different lens and um, that they are, they take in things and notice things that maybe that actually other people aren't noticing. So for example, um, they might be at a, uh, a park or a restaurant and they start to get all um, fidgety and complaining about stuff because there's a restaurant nearby or there's something cooking in the the kitchen that they just don't like the smell of. And nobody else is noticing it but them. But they get so wound up because the smell is bothering them so much they can't even stand it. And you're like, just ignore it. But in their mind, because they're so sensitive to their environment, that smell is really making them nauseous or Mm -hmm. irritating them or giving them a headache. And so when we're blowing them off and brushing them off to that, then what's happening is that we are um, dismissing them. And then they feel like, oh, my feelings and my my observations of the environment are not valid. Right. it, It really takes a keen, sensitive eye when we're a parent to these kinds of kids because they really experience the world in a much deeper, much more meaningful way than um, other people do. And so it's about really equipping ourselves with the knowledge of what a highly sensitive person is so that we are educating them as well, educating our child about what that means 
and then how to then be empathetic so that when yeah. they're going through that, we can kind of help them work through that. Right. So that's for both anxious. That's for also anxious kids too, because that they view the world in a more in a more heightened way. So again, right. they're noticing and feeling things deeper than somebody else might. Hmm. And I think that that's I. I think the other side of that is that that's such a beautiful thing and we need more people in this world who are tuned in, right, to like people mm-hmm. on a deeper level. And I guess the other question that's coming to my head is, well, for one, I would be curious to know if there is like neurological underpinnings with this, like oh, if kids who are right. more highly sensitive maybe have certain areas of their brain that, you know, are more reactive or whatnot. I'm very curious about that. But um, if you happen to know of any, but uh, but otherwise, aside from that, as a parent, you know, you also have this side where you feel like, oh my gosh, the world is going to crush them. Like <laughs> they're going to grow up yeah. and this world is going to be too hard for them. Like, you know, how do I, one, be empathetic with them and their needs and be, you know, sensitive to it, but at the same time, equip them for this real world that is going to be cruel. I'm so afraid of them being bullied in school and I don't want to be enabling, you know, too much quote unquote softness, right? That's like a real concern and like finding that balance where it's like, I also want to prepare them for this world, you know, even though I, I want to meet their, their needs to being more sensitive or more anxious. That's an excellent, excellent question because <laughs> I, that's what I get a lot. And um, I think that's something that what we have to pay attention to is that it's, it's okay for them to have this temperament because not everybody needs to be plowing through the world and right. just like blowing people off and be all hard. And I think that's the problem is that too much of us, too many of us felt like we had to do that and mm-hmm. so we have this big hard shell around us, right? So a lot of people who may be the bullies of this world, who may be the ones who treat people poorly, may have been sensitive at one point, but they were given that message. Oh, you got to be hard. You know, you got to be strong because the world's going to crush you. And so then they kind of put this big barrier around themselves. And so then they just pushed out all feelings. And the problem with that is, and I've had a few teenagers who we worked on some of these, especially with athletes. I've worked with a lot of these perfectionistic athletes who they were like, you know, then they'll win a tournament or they'll lose a tournament and they'll have the same reaction to it. And they'll kind of be kind of numb and stoic about it. And they're like, you know, why is this happening? And I'm like, well, because you turned off your emotion of not wanting to be disappointed in failure and you don't want to be sensitive to it because people are like, just, you know, be your top or whatever, but you can't just, emotions aren't like a big grid that I'll turn off overwhelm, I'll turn off sadness, I'll turn off disappointment, but I'll keep all the good quote unquote good ones That doesn't work that way. If we shut off some of our emotions, we might shut off all of them. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the biggest ways and what what I see often, especially with kids who have um, problems in terms of regulating themselves, one of the good, good skills to teach them is problem solving skills. That's kind of one that's consistently coming up in the research Mm. when it comes to kids who are actually making poor decisions if they're having tantrums, if they're being, they're bullying or they're being sensitive, I mean, it kind of covers a range of things is what you're doing is you're teaching them how to solve problems that to look at the world through a lens of a solution focused mindset rather than a problem focused mindset. So for example, my son, he, he is a very sensitive child and I've educated him about that. And he's like, is being sensitive bad, mommy? Because sometimes I feel like people hurt my feelings easily. And I said, no, being Mm. sensitive is not a bad thing. 
And I said, why I know it's not a bad thing is because you are the one kid in your class that when you have a new kid on the playground, you notice they're new and you go up to them and you ask them questions and you make sure they have someone to play with. No one else notices that. You are the one that notices when someone, when a teacher needs a compliment because they're having a bad day because you pick up on it on their face. You notice when a certain actor has voiced a cartoon character in a movie when he's done other movies because it's been seen with the voice. Right, right. Like, I said, that's amazing. That's mad skills right there. So precious. So, so helping them know that being sensitive, although it can be a weakness, like anything else, yeah. it can also be a strength. So we have to really drill that into their head. That it's not that you're a punk and you're a wuss because you're sensitive. Right. It's actually a sweet, really nice thing to have that. I, and then yeah. teaching them how to solve problems based on that. So when you feel yeah. hurt by something someone has done, what can you do about it? I can stand up for myself. I can tell them to stop. I can tell the teacher. I can befriend them. I can make a joke. Like actually walking them through how to solve problems when they have something arise. So that's a huge, huge part of it is helping them to solve problems in the moment through role playing and through like what if scenarios. So as they come up, they're like, ah, I've played this in my head before. We've talked about this before. I know exactly how to deal with this. I love that. I love how uh, preventative it is. Not necessarily preventative, but it's like you're preparing because and I feel like it somehow in the end kind of balances out a bit. For me, I was more of a sensitive child. Uh, mm-hmm. And so in the beginning, yeah, you go through these situations where it's like, you know, people can spot that or kids, you know, and mm-hmm. kind of more easily walked over or teased or bullied or what have you. And then you get older and you, learn, at least for me, you know, I got older and it took a little while, but learn how to put boundaries in place, you know, once I faced the real world and it was like, okay, the world is like this, you know, if I don't put boundaries in place, people will run all over. <laughs> and uh, finally finding a place where I can be a, you know, a sensitive person, I can be a connected person, but I could still be grounded um, and understand my boundaries so that, you know, uh, I'm, you know, respected in a way or whatnot, but it all, it, it all kind of works out in the end and I wouldn't trade it you know uh but I think that's so precious your son and noticing his teacher oh I would yeah I wouldn't trade that for the world it's so so precious it's really sweet because it's things that he will say that are beyond his years and I think that's what makes sensitive and even anxious kids so awesome to raise and teach because they do they, they they do things that are not typical to kids that would do that at that age so I think we have to see them as um strength and as an aspect mm-hmm. to any environment as well too rather than just being a weakness total gift total gift sometimes I just turn to my son I'm like mm-hmm. oh you're too sweet for this world oh my gosh but it's I gonna know. be okay <laughs> <laughs> so um one one last question uh, mm-hmm. I feel like we could take a lot of these into so many directions. We're not going to have to have you back. Um, <laughs> what would you say to the mom who is feeling mom guilt? You, you brought that up earlier, who feels like she's doing everything and nothing is never enough. So I'll, I'll just speak personally. And, and I know that the more you talk to moms, the more like you, we're all in, we've all been in this space where it's just like, I, I, I'm, I'm messing it up. I'm messing it all up. I know it. 
<laughs> and you want to, you have the aim, right? Like you want to give your kid everything that you didn't have and you want to regulate them, so to speak, in the ways that you weren't. And, but you're, you know, you're busy and uh, you're also trying to fulfill your work needs, especially the mom who's like working outside of the home or like I'm working and going to school, you know? So then you feel like, man, am I just giving my child the leftovers, you know? And, uh, the feeling like you're managing your child, but you really want to be raising them and taking that space and time, you know? And so, yeah, just equipping with, you know, maybe that mom who's like, you know what? I'm trying to do everything, but it never feels like enough, even though it's making a difference, you know? And, and I realize what's most important is that my son does feel loved. He feels safe. He feels cared for and that I'm present, you know, but yeah, to the mom who's maybe in that space. Yeah. And I'm sure, yeah. by the way, I'm sure dads feel this too. I don't want to leave that out. I, I can only speak as a mom, but parent who's feeling that guilt. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good distinction, but I, I think I often hear it more from moms than dads. But yeah. when dads do talk about it, they feel it too. I think we just don't realize and don't ask them enough. <laughs> Right. Um, but I think because women, we tend to be more relational and moms, we tend to be more relational than we notice it more. Um, yeah. But I think one of the, I think there's a couple things in terms of the mom, mom guilt. Um, one is that we have to remember that we need to be gentle with ourselves mm-hmm. and we need to not take um, all the things that our kids are doing so personally because, um, Kids are going to be kids. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one, one big thing to keep in mind is that kids are going to do things and that we need to not take their behavior so personally because um, they're, they have free will and they're going to make decisions on their own, sometimes regardless. Of either, either way. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing, too, is one of the longest longitudinal studies they did, I believe it was out of Harvard, and they looked at people over the course of, I believe it was like a 50 or 60 year study. Mm. And they looked at these people from childhood through adulthood and individuals who were successful in life, in marriage, in their jobs, money, finances, all that kind of stuff. And what they found was consistent across all of those individuals, regardless of class, race, age, all that stuff. The one thing that was consistent, why they felt they were successful was because they felt loved unconditionally by their parents. Mm. It wasn't about their degree, what school they went to, where they lived, what their ethnicity was, their gender. It had nothing to do with any of those things. Why they, they attributed their success to having loving parents who loved them regardless of how they behaved. So I say that when you're experiencing mom guilt, that we need to remember but kids are not going to remember all those little itty bitty moments. Right. Of, you know, I don't remember. You're going, no, you know, yeah. You know, you're going to school and working outside the home or you're working inside the home and going to school, whatever it is that what they're going to remember is that my mom or dad loved me fully and completely. And they adored me. That's what they remember. The experiences that you give them, the moments that you give them, the times that you spend with them that are valuable, that are quality even if it's 15 minutes at the end of the day, those are what they're going to remember. Versus if you spent eight hours with them yelling and spending no time with them. <laughs> right. That's not really quality time. So I would say that, you know, get rid of the mom and dad guilt and just love your kids unconditionally and adore them for who they are and 
help them to feel like you're in their corner, even when they mess up royally, that you have got their back and that they're, that you feel that this is the child that you love and you want and that you would love every moment that you spend with them. That's, that's what really matters the most. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's not about doing, it's just about being with your child. That's, that's the important thing. Right. I think that's completely true. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm looking back on my own life and, you know, I I ended up having conversations with my parents older, you know, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there were things that it was kind of like, okay, I didn't, I didn't feel great about that choice that my parent made, or I didn't feel great about this response or whatever. But at the end of the day, there was nothing that my parents could do, you know, that would like take over the sense of love and belonging and, you know, uh, provision that they gave me at the end of the day. All of those core right. things that you mentioned, those were the things that were foundational to my life and were overarching regardless of my parents' humanity, you know, things mm-hmm. they did in being human. And so I I can definitely attest to that. And now flipping it and us remembering it as parent uh, that as parents <laughs> on our side. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I think this is going to be incredibly refreshing and reassuring. Uh, for those who want to stay connected with you and the work that you're doing, which you should, because she's dropping this stuff all the time. Uh, what What are some ways that those who are listening can stay connected with you? Yeah, certainly. So they can go to um, my website, which is uh, www.anewdaysa, as in San Antonio.com. So that's my link to the website and all the things that we're doing there. And uh, we'll be doing a lot of things in 2020 with, I want to do more webinars, probably um, looking possibly at a podcast and doing a blog. So those are some things that we're looking at. Uh, And then they can find me on Instagram at dr.annelouise.lockhart. Um, and I'm sure you'll have the link so they can follow that, but that's there. And then as well as my practice, um, Instagram, which is a new day site on Instagram as well. And then on Facebook at a new day pediatric psychology. So those are some things that, um, they can follow and I'm always posting things. My mission is to do things that are inspiring, educating, and, um, uplifting, um, so that people feel like they are equipped in this parenting journey and uh, all things mental health as well. I love that. And yes, all of those links are going to be in the show notes below. Uh, I love all of this information that you're just putting out. And now with social media and the psychology world, it's like people can take advantage of these skills and these tips and these perspectives really for free. But Mm -hmm. also the work you're doing is so is worth so much more as well. Uh, so what kind of services do you guys provide and do you provide services online for someone who might be remote, who's a parent, who's like, I think mm-hmm. I, I, I could benefit from some of this? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So there's a couple of ways. So one is, you know, you can get a lot of stuff for free on the Instagram page, Facebook pages, and just kind of being able to be encouraged. I get a lot of DMs from parents and from um, me. Kind of, <laughs> yes. Help me. <laughs> oh, right. And, I, and I'm happy to do that and be able to provide those resources because sometimes you just need a little encouragement to know that you're on the right track. Yeah. But um, our, I have um, several associates that work with me. And we all provide, um, myself, Dr. Kristen Criado and Kimberly Rodriguez, 
We all provide parent coaching both in person if you're in the San Antonio or surrounding areas and as well as virtually through virtual parent coaching. So we do parent coaching with quite a few individuals outside of the state and um, as well as internationally. So that's the option that we do have. And some people, they may just need a few sessions or to know they're on the right track. Yeah. Um, and others may need it for more long term. Um, so we do provide that live in person as well as virtually. Um, I also have two ebooks. Uh, one that is a comprehensive guide for parents of children who are diagnosed with ADHD. That's on my website, but you can get a link to that. And then I also have a mini ebook for parents, uh, a tantrum guide to help them get through the tantrums and what to do in the moment, as well as how to prevent them as well, too. So those are things that um, have available. So those are all the different things that we have going on. And then we always have parent classes that we're doing, webinars, all of those things that will all be on the website as well, too. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of things. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just a little bit of stuff. Thank not you. Yeah, <laughs> not too busy at all. Thank you so much for all the work that you're putting out and all the work that you're doing as someone who creates content. I do not undervalue that at all. Um, and definitely get connected with with you all. So I will let you get back to your play day with the hubby. Uh, that sounds so fun. I will be uh, connecting with you to third wheel someday. And, <laughs> and thanks again for uh, all this information. Thank you, Brittany. I appreciate the invitation and I love talking to you. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Until next time.